It's time for the scripture reading. And today I'm so pleased to introduce to you some of the youth from our Timberlake Student Ministry who are here to give a dramatic reading of the scripture lesson, which is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Friends, give your attention now to the word of God. Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. They, he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one traveling to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these last few days? What things? He asked. Things about Jesus from Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all other people. The chief priest and the other rulers sentenced him to death and crucified him. I had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel, but it's been three days since all of this happened. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, and when they got there, um, the body was gone, and they saw angels that said that he was alive. Some of our companions went, and when they got there, the body was gone. He said to them, How foolish you are, and slow to believe all the things that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter? His glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the, villi the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly. Stay, it is almost evening, and the day is done. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the trail? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled, and assembled together, and saying, It is true, for the Lord has risen and shown himself to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So it was Easter Sunday. Two of the disciples, not part of the twelve, but two of the other followers of Jesus, also called disciples. One was named Cleopas, and the other one, we don't know his name. They were walking to a village called Emmaus. And a stranger came alongside and joined them, and he said, Hey, what are you guys talking about? And the story says they stood still, their faces downcast. I want you to picture that for a second. <sighs> Can you imagine how they're feeling? You know, what, is, what does that body language tell you? They were sad, right? They were grieving. They were distraught. You ever been through something difficult and then someone asks you about it and it kind of hits you all over again? Yeah, it was like that for the disciples. So they told a stranger you know, about all the events of that weekend, about how they, they thought uh, their Messiah was the one who was going to save them all, about how their hopes were crushed when on Friday he was killed by the authorities. And then this stranger began to teach them about these things. He, he had this deep understanding 
And he began with Moses and with the prophets, and he explained to them everything that the scriptures said about who the Messiah was. But the whole time they're talking, they don't realize who it is that is actually walking and talking with them on the road. And the story says in chapter 24, verses 15 to 16, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. It was Jesus. The stranger was Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. Why not? Why not? They had been a part of his ministry, right? They, they heard him teach. They saw the miracles. They ate together. They were part of the mission. So why didn't they recognize him? No, the story doesn't say. We can make some educated guesses. We can do some theological interpretation of the text. Maybe there were tears in their eyes. They were sad. They were heartbroken and confused. You ever noticed how grief makes it hard to see sometimes? Maybe they were still in shock. The situation was so different, so unexpected, that they didn't know what to think. And you can practically hear in the story how they were still processing it. They were thinking out loud. You ever go through that experience when something difficult or tragic happens, and you just try to make sense of it by talking it through again and again. And that's what they were doing as they walked on the road. Maybe those were the reasons. You know what I think the reason is they did not recognize Jesus? It's because they weren't looking for him. They weren't looking for Jesus. They did not expect him to be there. They figured he was still dead, which is kind of disappointing as we read the story because we understand that that morning they were there when some of the women came and told them, hey guys, we went to the tomb and we went to anoint his body, but it wasn't there. But you know who was there? Angels. We had a vision of angels, and they told us, Jesus is alive. And then some of the other disciples went to the tomb, and they looked in, and they were like, yep, story checks out. Nobody in here, nobody in the tomb. So these two disciples, Cleopas and the other, they heard that whole story. They heard from the women. They heard from the other disciples. And now they related this whole story to this stranger, but they still couldn't imagine that it was Jesus. So the stranger says to them, verse 25 and 26, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Weren't they paying attention? Come on! All the teachers who are listening right now, you can appreciate this, can't you? I've been teaching you this for months, for years. You still don't get it. And as a teacher, you just want to bang your head against the wall and scream, right? Ah, you're kidding me. You still don't get it. For years, Jesus had been teaching them about what was going to happen, anticipating the very events of this weekend, of Good Friday and of Easter. Over and over, he explained to his disciples, look, the Son of Man, that's me, the Son of Man must suffer and die. I'm the Son of Man who must suffer and die and on the third day be raised from the dead. But they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. Now here's part of what's strange. These disciples knew the Bible. 
right? They, they knew the story of their faith. They were recounting it to the stranger. They knew what was uh, supposed to happen. They thought. They knew what the prophets said was going to happen. They knew all the religious stuff, but they didn't recognize Jesus. How many of us know all the religious stuff? The rituals, the do's, and the don'ts. When to stand up and when to kneel down. We know all the religious stuff, but do we recognize Jesus when he's standing right there in front of us? You ever notice how often we see what we want to see? You ever notice how often we, we hear what we want to hear? We're sometimes blind and we're sometimes deaf, even to the beautiful truth of God's power in our lives. Friends, this is a story about vision. This is a story about having eyes to see. Eyes to see ourselves as we truly are. Eyes to see what God is doing in the world. Do you have eyes to see? Because God wants to show you something amazing. The kind of vision this story is about is, is what we would call hindsight. About looking back, about looking back into the past to see and to notice God's faithfulness as a way to have confidence in the present. Hindsight. You know what's great about hindsight? What do we say about hindsight? Hindsight is what? 2020. Hindsight is 2020. It's accurate, right? It's so much easier to see back into the past than it is to look ahead into the future. And I know a lot of us right now, we, we're trying to see into the future. What, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen with this coronavirus and with this quarantine? You know, will the people I love stay healthy? When can I go back to work? When I come, can I go back to my friend's house or back to my favorite restaurant for lunch? When can we get back together in the building for worship? And the answer is, friends, we don't exactly know. We don't exactly know. So let me encourage you. Rather than getting caught in the trap of looking too far ahead, instead, let's look back. One of the best ways to deal with scary things in the present is to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Look back at your life. Right now, go ahead, take a moment. Look back at your life. Think about some of the difficult things that you've been through. Your divorce or the death of somebody you love, or that time you got really sick. And now look and see how God was helping you through that season. Now look back at your life at some of the joy-filled times, the birth of a baby, or a new job, or a new home, or a family reunion, or that trip of a lifetime. And notice, look and see how God made all those things possible for you. Friends, hindsight is a gift from God to, to be able to look back and to see how God has been at work this whole time. You know, at the end of the story, the disciples came to the place where they were going to, to the village called Emmaus. But the stranger, he, he kept walking as if he was going to go on to the next town. So they insisted, hey, brother, you know, come and stay with us. It's getting late. Don't, don't stay out on the road after dark. You know, that might be dangerous. Stay with us. So the stranger came into the house and stayed with them. And they sat down at the dinner table together to eat. And in that moment, the guest became the host and the stranger became familiar to them. The story says Jesus broke the bread 
and gave it to them, and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. Their eyes were opened. The good news of God was right there with them in the flesh. He had been walking with them on the road. He had been accompanying them on their journey. Jesus himself was with them. They just couldn't see it. They just couldn't see that it was Jesus. But now their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And they realized it was Jesus the whole time. It was Jesus the whole time. He had been with them since the beginning of the journey. Finally, they had eyes to see. Finally, you know, the scales fell away from their eyes. Finally, the blinders were taken off. Finally, the blindfold was removed, and they were given their sight. You may know that Jesus is a performer of miracles, and, and in the Bible it tells about a lot of different miracles that he did. And if you read his miracle stories, you'll begin to notice one of the miracles that he did repeatedly was to make blind people be able to see. Over and over, Jesus gave sight to people who could not see. And earlier in the Gospel of Luke, in the same book that we're reading from today, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus gives sight to the blind. Lord, open our eyes. Lord, give us a vision of your kingdom. Give us a glimpse of what only you can do in this world. Lord, give us eyes to see that Jesus has been with us this whole time. How many of us have been so concerned these days with what's coming next that we have neglected to notice what God has already been doing? We've been looking ahead but we've neglected to look back. Friends, don't forget to look back. Hindsight is 2020. It's so very clear to see. Our sermon series for this Easter season is called The New Normal. Friends, I want you to notice with me, God is doing something new in your life, in my life, in our church, in the world. And the question for today is, can you see it? Can you see it? seems to me that the quarantine has been in place long enough now that we have an opportunity to, to take a moment and to look back. This has been about nine weeks or so since the quarantine began. And so that's plenty of good time for us to look back and notice Jesus has been with us the whole time. Jesus has been with us the whole time in every new thing, in every scary moment, in every big and small decision, in every illness and in every healing, in every political fight in our country, in every experience of coming together as a human race, Jesus has been with us. And sometimes we've noticed and sometimes we haven't, but it was Jesus the whole time. He's been with us the whole time. There isn't a single moment during this entire quarantine or any other time of your life when he hasn't been with you. And I wonder, can you see him? Can you see Jesus walking with you through your life? Can you look back and see the ways that he's been with you through all the ups and downs of these nine weeks? 
Tony Campolo is uh, one of the great evangelical preachers of our day. His parents uh, were Sicilian immigrants, and Tony is from Philly. So when he preaches, he preaches loud, and, and he uses his hands, and you don't want to sit in the front row because he kind of spits you know, when he talks. So Tony was a kid in Philadelphia in the 1940s where he lived with his parents and his older sisters. And his parents didn't want him walking to school all by himself, so his mother would pay an older neighbor girl named Harriet five cents a day to, to take him. And when Tony got a little bit older, he became conscious of, of what he considered a pretty large amount of money being paid to Harriet for something he could just do on his own. So he went to his mom. Mother, he said, uh, Mom, if you please, could you just give me the nickel and, and I'll get myself to and from school every day. And she said, okay, Tony, if you're careful, I'll give you the nickel each day and, and you can put the money in the bank and you can save it to buy Christmas presents for your sisters. So Tony thought that was a pretty good deal and he began to walk himself to and from school every day. And it was decades later after Tony's mother had died and they were at a family reunion together and he was reminiscing with his sisters about his spirit of independence as a child and he even kind of bragged a little bit about how he had made it to school and back all by himself and how that translated into good presents for his sisters at Christmas time. And his sisters just laughed at him. And he said, what? And one of them said, you really think that you went to and from school all by yourself? Every day when you left the house, mom followed you. And when you came out of school at the end of the day, she was there. She always made sure that you didn't notice her, but she watched over your coming and your going. And they said to Tony, Tony, didn't it seem strange to you that when you knocked on the door at the house, she didn't answer right away? That's because she would follow you home from school and then she would sneak in the back door. And when she opened the front door and let you in, you thought you had been on your own the whole time. When in reality, she had been watching over your every step. Isn't God like that? Don't you know, friends, the Lord is near to you all the time. Even when you get that stubborn independent streak and you say, oh, I can do this all by myself, the Lord is with you the whole time. Okay, back to the Emmaus story. The eyes of the disciples were opened, and I want you to understand the context in which that happened. Okay, so first of all, it happened with a heartwarming experience of God's presence with them. Right when they recognized Jesus, the two disciples turned to each other and said, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Hindsight, right? Now that I look back, yes, my heart was burning with passion and with faith as he spoke. I can see clearly now. All of this happened on one of the worst days of their life. Before they realized it was Jesus, they were distraught. Their dreams were crushed, their, their hopes were dashed, their future was canceled. But now that Jesus was alive, everything was gonna be okay. It was God's grace to perform this divine reversal in their lives. And I want you to notice how God is present when we need him the most. And here's the other thing I want you to appreciate about the context of their eyes being open. The story says in verse 30, when he was at the table with them 
He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Does that remind you of anything, I hope? Take, bless, break, give. Yes, Holy Communion. Friends, the Eucharistic theme in this story is unmistakable. Their eyes were opened. They recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread. It happened at the table. Isn't it just like Jesus to meet us at the table? I don't know about you, but I have been missing sharing in Holy Communion with you and with our brothers and sisters. I miss it so, so much. You know, if there's one thing that we've learned from our 11 a.m. Word and Table service that we started a couple years ago, it's how much we all hunger for the Lord's Supper. I've heard from, <clears throat> I've heard from a lot of you who uh, are regulars at the modern service or at the traditional service, and you've said to me, you know, Pastor, uh, when are we going to get to have communion every week uh, like they do at the Word and Table service? Something for us to pray for and something for us to make plans about even now. Now, I'm, I'm aware, friends, that uh, some churches do what we might call virtual communion, right? Uh, but I want you to understand why we don't do that. It, it doesn't really fit well with our theology of the table. Our theology of Holy Communion is based on the idea of the real presence of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is really present in the bread and in the wine. And it's mysterious, right? We can't really explain it, but we know it's real. And the manifestation of his presence comes in the way that we celebrate the meal. So we say the words that he said. We say, this is my body broken for you. And we eat the food that he ate, right? We don't eat pretzels or Twinkies. We use bread because Jesus is the bread of life. And we announce the grace of God that is poured out for all people, and all people are invited to the table. And most important for our discussion today, we do it as a gathered community. It is never individual, is it? It is always communal. It is communion. We are the body of Christ, and we feast on the body of Christ. We take, we take Jesus in ourselves, on ourselves, in a real and bodily and corporate way, which means we're going to have to wait until we get back together to share at the table again. And so in the meantime, let me encourage you to long for it and to look forward to it and to pray that that day will come soon to be hungry for the feast. I don't know about you, but I am hungry for the feast. And every time you sit down to dinner, I hope that you will acknowledge that Jesus is with you at the table, that you would recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Friends, a new day is dawning. A new reality is in breaking, and it is called the kingdom of God. There, there is a new exodus happening. There is a great jubilee springing up all around us. The resurrection of Jesus call, causes all kinds of wonderfully unexpected new life. But I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't appear just the way we might have expected him to, to important people in important places. No, he shows up on this day, on this Easter day, way outside the city of Jerusalem, on a dusty road 
talking to two minor players in the story, one of whom Luke doesn't even bother to give a name. Our God is a God of the wonderfully unexpected. And so we pray for eyes to see what God is doing. Oh God, we pray for eyes to see. For eyes to see your new reality. To see the new normal that you have brought and are bringing into the world. To see that your church never was a building. To see that worship never was limited to one room. To see that mission was never something we needed permission from the government to do. It was never about the building or the space or the blessing of any human authority. Lord, give us eyes to see that it has always been only about Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.